This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com. Our mission here at the Talking Taiao podcast is to inspire and support people, businesses and communities to value the environment and act to prioritise sustainability. We would like to highlight our region's efforts in acting as guardians of the land, Taranaki Tiaki Taiao, while weaving Te Reo Māori and Matauranga within our conversations to help our wider community learn through a positive, educational and uplifting lens. And thank you for listening in on the Talking Tile podcast. Once again, thanks to Access Radio for supporting this co-papa. Um, we are here today with a very special guest, not from Taranaki, but he is visiting, helping our local Namotu Marine Reserve Society with some penguin monitoring. And um, I feel very privileged to know this person <laughs> as he rolls his eyes. Um, Tom, Dr. Thomas Mattoon, I know you don't use the doctor so much, but uh, welcome to the podcast. And if you could give us an introduction to your mahi. Yeah, well, th- thanks for having me. Um, well, um, <coughs> I've been working with penguins for the past 20 years um, after I arrived in this country. I'm originally from, from Germany, uh, but I did all my degrees here and uh, got stuck with the New Zealand penguins. So, yeah, I've been all over the place studying the behavior of these birds and yeah, filling blank pages of knowledge uh, about the various species we have here in New Zealand. So it's quite academic, your background with the penguins. It's not all just fluffy, finding little blue advocacy stuff. It seems like you've dug your heels really deep into the science, data side of things, yeah? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I got into into penguins uh by accident. Um, actually, not really. Uh, I decided to study biology and, and zoology after I saw penguins for the first time in, in New Zealand. But during my studies, I completely got disconnected from them again because I studied in, in Europe. Um, but I ended up back with, with penguins, so full, came full circle. And um, what really fascinated uh, me about penguins was that these were birds that had have given up flight and um, instead just dive into the ocean where there's, well, at that at the stage when I, when I saw them for the first time, I thought there's just sharks and seals and what have you. Why, why would they give up flight? So um, that, that, that question just haunted me and, and drove me forward. And that's basically what I'm studying. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what penguins do while they're out at sea. That, that is a really interesting question to have inspired you on, on this journey. <laughs> why did they give up their flight? Um, how come you didn't choose kiwi then? Uh, <laughs> it's a there's another story behind that. I mean, I came to New Zealand after uh, after I finished school, and one of the the, the the tick boxes on on my bucket list for my New Zealand visit was to to uh, see kiwi, kiwi bird, and we were told that uh, Stuart Island Rakiura would be the best place to do that. So um, we went to Rakiura and uh, made an eye. We did the uh, Northwest Circuit, which is a pretty arduous uh, trek. And we didn't see a single kiwi bird for the first 
six or seven days, which is really unusual, apparently. And we, we, we stayed at a hut at, uh, at the northern tip of Rakiura. And while I was chopping firewood, I heard these strange noises down from the beach. So I went to investigate. And I saw yellow-eyed penguins come, come out, of the, out of the water and just waddle past me. I was just, what the hell? So it was the first time I saw penguins in the wild. And um, when, I, when I came back to the hut to, to continue chopping wood, while I was chopping wood, there was a kiwi bird that came out of the bush towards me. And I just thought, too late, mate. <laughs> no, sorry. You had, you had seven days. Was, was your chance to impress me. But now, yeah, I'm hooked with penguins. Sorry. That is an awesome story. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I'm going to Rakiora next March, hopefully. Oh. Um, just doing the two, two or three day loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to see some some kiwi, but um, you said that you saw yellow-eyed penguins on Rakiura. Did you know that they were there before you went down? I didn't really take any interest at the time. Ah, you know, okay. uh, penguins weren't weren't something that that was uh, big in my consciousness. I, I grew up in Central Europe. Uh, we we have penguins in the zoo, and mm. I don't like zoos, so. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it was a more or less a coincidence that, that we spotted the penguins there and um, I immediately got, you know, hooked, just like, holy smokes, these are interesting birds, outside of a zoo context anyhow. So. Yeah, seeing, seeing penguins in, a, in the wild is quite different to, well, any animal is quite different to seeing them in the zoo because their behaviours are so different. Um, maybe you could explain how little blue penguins say... Um, that are bred in zoo, bred, that are, um, you know, in the zoos, like our National Aquarium in Napier, how they might differ f- physically from um, wild penguins. Well, they, they differ on so, so many levels. Uh, first of all, a lot of penguins in the zoo, they have really weird-looking beaks uh, because they're mostly hand-fed. They don't have to hunt for the food anymore. They get the same sort of uh, uh, diet every day, so there's little diversity there. They get supplements, and that all affects their, their beak growth. Um, in, in penguins, the, the, the beak never stops growing. Uh, throughout the life, the, the, the beak grows. That is because there's wear and tear. Mm. It's their main, main instrument to catch fish. And um, in, in a zoo setting, it's not used in, in a natural manner, so you've got these really weird-looking beaks quite often, in particular in, in little penguins. And... Uh, I had a meeting with with Emily Roberts from the Taranaki Council here, and she showed me um, one one of the documents about uh, Kurara you have here. Um, um, I think it's the it's the development bylaw mm-hmm. when you when you do work on the on the port, and right on the on the front page there's this this photo of a Kurara uh, from a zoo with this really ugly looking beak. And the first thing I said, why why did you choose that? And Emily said, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just. That's it's yeah it's it's a very notable difference and of course the other major difference between uh, little blue penguins in a zoo and in the wild is in a zoo you see them during the day whereas here when you're in the port or or, or just along the coast you have to wait until well after dark before they start coming out of the water so it's a it's a yeah real challenge to see them yeah and because you're so hyper aware of those differences as well like seeing that image on that guide. Because um, I know what you're talking about, it was presented to us at council, um, which I was really ex- excited about. Um, that contractors who use those guides, or even the wider community, wouldn't recognise those differences because they don't know what to look for. They might notice there's like a slight difference in size or shape or something like that, but not realising that there's a reason 
why they look a little bit different mm. or might behave different. Um, and even you mentioning that the um, at the zoos, they're seen during the day, um, whereas when we're monitoring them, they're very active at night. Um, you know, these are the sort of things that generally people don't really understand. And I always get people coming to me saying, oh, you know, there's all these signs about little blue penguins along our coast, but I've never seen one. And I always have to explain because you're asleep when they're, mm. <laughs> when they're on shore. Um, and um, just quickly ar- around that uh, awareness and education side of things, what do you think are some of the sort of um, barriers or things that we need to consider when we're engaging with the public and teaching people about um, wildlife ethics um, and those sorts of things? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's, it's a very complex topic, to be quite honest. Uh, first of all, uh, only a fraction of New Zealanders are aware that we have penguins here. I, I was at a social gathering here. Um, the, the people I stayed with, they, they, they had a bit of a, a party with, with lots of locals hanging around, and uh, I just mingled with them and, and had a chat with them. And most of them said, what, we have penguins here in New Plymouth? I said, yeah, we have them everywhere. And I think it's the same everywhere. We, we've got we've got people. I, I live in in Dunedin, and um, we've got we've got Colorado uh, uh, there, little blue penguins and yellow-eyed penguins, hoi ho there. And uh, people aren't even aware that we've got hoi ho on, on the Otago Peninsula, even though the, the the town is literally plastered with with murals of of hoi ho, and it's just this. Um, this unawareness um, that, that we have, um, these penguins, that, that is a major barrier, the major first barrier to take. What many Kiwis aren't aware of is that we as New Zealanders are responsible for one-third of the world's penguin population. There are 18 species on this planet, and six of them are New Zealand species. Most of them uh, live and breed on the subantarctic islands that are really difficult to, to, to visit, but yeah, it's our responsibility to look after them, yet we have zero awareness um, that we have all these penguins. It's, it's so funny, during my line of work, I'm quite often I, I meet with, with travelers from overseas, and so many of them come over here with a, with a, with a task, with, with, a, with a hope of, of spotting penguins in the wild. I don't think that, that Kiwis really go out and think, oh yeah, I want to see a penguin. Now they just want to go and fish or have a barbecue or so. It's, yeah. Yeah, there's, um, that's, that's, that's a really good point, having tourists come over and looking for penguins, and most of our population doesn't even know that we have a, we're, we have a third of the world's penguin um, species in you know, our backyard, essentially. So that's, really, um, that's a really good point. It's, um, not, it's not only that. Um, of the 18 penguin species on this planet, two-thirds are very well studied. The ones in Antarctica, the ones in all the territorial um, areas like the French subantarctic islands, the British subantarctic islands, even South America, there's way more knowledge about the local penguin species. In New Zealand, we're just lagging behind. We, we, we've got species like the red-crested penguin um, on the subantarctic islands. We know what they look like. That's it. We don't know how they're affected by any, any um, human influences in the area, fisheries or so. We don't know whether their population is going up or down. We just assume that they are decreasing, but we don't really have solid evidence. And yeah, we know very little about them. And that's what makes it really exciting for me. And that's why I'm stuck uh, with, with penguins, really, uh, because um, it's almost pioneering work that we're doing. Even the work that we do with Korora here is, is the first ever 
that we're tracking uh, the penguins out at sea. So we never knew where they were going. And as it turns out, they don't do what we expected them to do. They travel so far away from the coast. It's uh, pretty amazing. Mm. I have a follow-up question after uh, a song. If you have a song in mind that um, our listeners can have a break with. Can it be any song? Any song. Okay. Um, in that case, I want to have uh, Man of the People by Stephen Wilson, please. Perfect.
thanks for sharing that song with us, um, Thomas. Um, my next question for you, just leading on to what you were talking before the break, talking about before the break, what, um, why? Sorry, why is it so important for us to research penguins, and why is it so hard? Why aren't there many um, people studying penguins? Well, first of all, um, penguins have been identified internationally as a as a prime indicator species for the state of, of the uh, coastal and in, in marine marine areas in general, but particularly the coastal areas around major uh, countries like Australia, New Zealand, um, and South America. Um, be, that is because they're so accessible. Um, other seabirds, they fly away and they fly great distances. So even if you study an albatross, for example, you learn more about the, the oceans in Chile than about the oceans in, in New Zealand. Whereas the penguins, because they can't fly, they stay um, in, the, in the general area. So um, they are like little, little biological probes that tell us uh, what, what's the productivity like. Because if the productivity is high close to the coast, they don't have to travel far. Uh, the further they have to travel, the more difficult it is for them to find food. So just by looking at, at how they distribute themselves um, on the ocean, we get an information or we get an idea about um, how, the, how the ocean is doing. And um, yeah, if you, if you have enough information and if you, if you monitor that kind of behavior on a, on a yearly basis, you can really relate to um, how, uh, for example, uh, ocean temperature and so on, how physical properties of the ocean relate to a predator, predator's behavior, which penguins are. They eat fish, fish eat zooplankton, zooplankton eats phytoplankton. So they're pretty high up on the, in the food chain and they're very easy to study and that's why they're perfect indicators. Um, so why aren't they more widely studied, studied in New Zealand? Um, well, first of all, it's not easy. Um, you, you, you have to be very patient. I mean, we're, we're studying the, the, the foraging behavior of cholera here in, in uh, Taranaki at the moment, and uh, we spent the last week and a half just staying up until 3 a.m. in the morning um, to, to get the birds that, that we tracked back because we, we attached little data loggers. It's not that you can uh, attach a transmitter uh, because these things are too big for, for cholera. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it takes quite, quite some effort um, to do that stuff. Um, and the other thing is that we just New Zealand doesn't doesn't have um, the, the the scientific infrastructure to support students that would want to go into into this field, because usually in natural sciences in New Zealand students do a master's and then they stop because anything they do beyond the master's, a PhD or so, makes it very difficult to find a job in New Zealand. With the master's you can always start working at doc, but beyond that, yeah. So um, but. Masters is only the first step to 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 learn how how to deal with with penguins and their uh, the, the difficulty in in studying them. So uh, we don't have many PhD students in New Zealand, which is one of the problems. Mm. Do they go like? So you say we don't have many PhD students for this particular topic in New Zealand. Where are they? Uh, overseas, um, okay. really. Uh, we, we have a lot of PhD students that are working, oh, well, not a lot. We've got some PhD students in New Zealand that are working with, with penguins that are actually working with me right now. But mind you, they're all from overseas universities. 
so we've got we've got a student um, from the University of Miami who's who's working with us um, to to study Tawaki, a Fjordland crested penguin down in Fjordland, and he does tremendous work. But um, he he thought about doing his PhD in New Zealand, but a there's not the money um, to support PhD students. Scholarships are very rare, and um, yeah, uh, the he got way more research funding in the United States. We just don't have the resources and the infrastructures. Mm. And um, yeah, and as I said, the other problem is that a lot of Kiwi students, they think about, okay, how am I going to get a job here in New Zealand? And for them, it would be actually a bad idea to continue to do a PhD, even though they they are very talented. But um, the job market just isn't there for them with this higher uh, higher degree. So what do you think would incentivize people to do more research in this area then i think i think we we rely on community groups like like the namutu marine uh, society marine reserve society um we've got we've got loads of community groups that are very very busy and very engaged with uh with penguin conservation and um they are the with a bit of guidance they they can do um the stuff that that we do i mean that's i'm i'm here uh, not not only to to help the society with their with their tracking study, but also to train them here. This is what you what you need to do. This is how it works. And at some stage, um, they can do most of the stuff by themselves and mm. just help them with the data analysis. So I think that's the way forward. That we have community groups um, that doesn't help our penguin species that are on subantarctic islands because we don't <laughs> have any community groups there. Um, so that's that's why why we recently started uh, a new trust. And, and we will, you know, uh, look for funding to get more information about our subantarctic species, your red-crested penguins, uh, rockhopper penguins, snares penguins, and even hoi-ho, yellow-eyed penguins on the subantarctic. They're virtually un- unstudied. Mm. Um, so um, we want to we change that. Well, if you find funding for an extra person, <laughs> I'm always keen. Um, I was supposed to go down to the um, the sounds this October, but it just didn't work out. The week that I did have free to go down, you guys weren't in the sounds <laughs> studying uh, or looking for Tawaki. So um, hopefully next year. Next year, next year is going to be dusky sounds. So that's, dusky sounds. Yeah. Cool. I haven't been there. So um, cool. I'll put that in my diary. Um, so with all the research that you've done um, most of your life, I assume, um, I was wondering what are the most what are the most interesting or, yeah, fascinating um, fun facts that you've learned through your research? Oh, well, that's that's easy. Um, all the New Zealand penguin species do not behave like the, the penguins that we know from elsewhere. They are completely different in their behavior, in their strategies. None of the uh, rules that, that apply to many of the other penguin species, Antarctic penguin species, or uh, uh, the South American penguins, they all have a, a certain set of rules that they, that they adhere to. Whereas these guys here, they do everything differently. Every species behaves completely differently. Um, Hoiho, for example, are an exclusive uh, seafloor forager. They always go down to the seafloor to find, to find food, um, which is, yeah, n- no other penguin species does that. It also means that they can't, even though they're a very big bird and they theoretically could dive to, to great depths, um, they're still confined to reasonably shallow um, areas where they where they can forage. So uh, even though their body size would, would allow them to travel hundreds of kilometers, they stay within a few k's of the coast. I mean, they still dive to 150 meters to find food, which is amazing. 
Um, Tawaki is, is uh, the, the most eccentric penguin species there is. Um, until we started studying them uh, a few years ago, they were one of the species we didn't know anything about. And um, so, so we've, we've tracked their, their um, movements during the breeding season, but also outside of the breeding season. And we found that Tawaki um, traveled the greatest distances out of the, uh, outside of the breeding season of all penguin species. It's just insane. They don't have to do that, though. That's the thing. <laughs> they are, um, New Zealand is very productive. The coastal waters are very productive. So Tawaki could stay at home, yet they choose to travel 3,000 k's, 4,000 k's away from New Zealand into what looks like a desert, really, to forage. So there, there are lots of, of really um, interesting questions about, about these animals that, that we can't answer by extrapolating from what is known since Jung's from other penguin species. They're all really individual uh, species, and uh, that's, that's what's so fascinating. Yeah, thank you for sharing those fun facts. The, there's so much more about all our um, local species that... I've learned at the International Penguin Conference, at the Omaru, um Penguin Conference. Um, I'm going to try and get to as many conferences as I can because there's always new information coming out mm. from you know different organisations around the world about their penguin species, what they've discovered, um, it, the stuff that you've just shared. Um, is that mostly recent, um, recently discovered behaviours? Yes. Well, the, the Tawaki info, um, we only published that, that paper um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. It hit the press worldwide. Everybody was amazed by, by Tawaki. And uh, what was really funny was that most of the international penguin uh, press outlets, they used the wrong, the wrong species image on, the, on their press release. <laughs> so it was either a rock hopper or whatever, but not a Tawaki. Yeah. Because that species is virtually unknown outside of anywhere, really. I mean, even New Zealand is... Um, mistake them for yellow-eyed penguins or rock hoppers. So yeah, we've had a, um, a we had a juvenile um, tawaki wash up at Back Beach here. Unfortunately, it passed away on the way to Wild Base um, Rehabilitation Centre. But um, that was quite quite an interesting um, event because they don't come up here; mm. <laughs> they stay south, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we could probably talk for ages about penguins. We're yeah, both let's do penguin. That. <laughs> We might have to interview you again next time and see what else you've learnt um, next time you come up for um, monitoring in Taranaki. But in the meantime, um, it's quite fun seeing what you're up to with the Tawaki Project. Shout out to the Tawaki Project. Any other shout outs for any of the projects that you're involved in? Uh, Tawaki Project, the Korora Project with, with uh, here, here up in, here in Taranaki. That's, that's everything I'm concerned with right now. Next year, hopefully we go to the sub Island. So... But that's Tawaki Project as well. So, right. yeah, Tawaki Project rules. <laughs> awesome. Um, check them out on um, their website and also on Instagram. There's lots of cool photos and videos shared on Instagram there. Um, any last messages for our listeners? We Here in New Zealand, we've got truckloads of penguins. We just have to be aware of it. So um, to anyone listening, uh, we've got little penguins all around New Zealand but we've got six penguin species that are our responsibility and uh, we better look after them because the rest of the world adores them. So, yeah, that's my message. Kia ora. All right, I'm going to make a penguin sound. Can you do one? No. Okay, I won't then. <laughs> Kakite.
This show is created and made possible by Sustainable Taranaki. Sustainable Taranaki is a charitable trust that was started in 1992 in Inglewood by a group of progressive environmentalists. It now has grown and expanded its reach, but keeps the same vision of prioritizing our environment and educating the community. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.